This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Okay, I want to draw your attention back to the first passage we looked at in this series. This is a series called The Gathering, so we're talking about what do we do when we gather together as a church, but it started... uh, with Romans 12, and we looked at this passage that says, by the mercies of God, or as the New American Standard says, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable worship. And so we talked about reasonable worship or spiritual worship is to present our bodies, and that's reflective of our whole selves, to, re- to present our whole selves before the Lord as a sacrifice, that we are presenting ourselves and saying, Lord, we are here for you. Use us however you want. And so we talked about the fact that worship is for all of life, and that is true. Whatever we're doing, we can do for the glory of God, and whether you're changing a diaper or whether you are running errands or whether you are working on a spreadsheet or making a sales call or having family worship or on a prayer walk, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, you can do it for the glory of God, and you're called to do so. So we said all of life can be uh, worship. But I want to take that same text and look at it in the context of gathered worship, our gathering together, and say this, that it says something very interesting, that our spiritual worship, uh, the way we reflect spiritual worship is presenting our bodies to the Lord. Now, here's, here's what I want to point out, is that we worship in our heart to the Lord. We worship from the inside of us. Uh, we worship the Lord with our heart, but that is expressed physically. And that's why Romans says your spiritual worship or your reasonable worship is to express physically to the Lord uh, your worship of him. So the way it works is we talked in that message about uh, worship being God reveals himself and we respond. It's a two-beat rhythm, revelation and response. So God reveals himself to us from, this, from the scripture. We're gathered in a meeting like this. We hear something from God's word. We sing something that's biblically true. We hear something that's true and that informs our minds. Sometimes we're taught something new. Uh, oftentimes it's, we're reminded, usually it's, we're reminded of a truth about God, something about God that is to affect our hearts. That is to uh, affect our, uh, our interior person, our emotions, our affections. And then we respond to God in a physical way. We are to love the Lord God with our, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our heart and soul represents our interior, uh, affections, Our mind represents our thinking. So we love God with our mind. We hear truth and we respond to that truth that affects our hearts. And then with all of our strength, we express that through our bodies. So we've already had three messages on physical expression of worship to the Lord. A few weeks ago, we talked about singing. Singing is a physical expression expression to the Lord of worship. So we looked at Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we learn a truth about God. We're thankful in our hearts. And how do we respond? Just say, in my heart, I feel good about God. No, we then take the thankfulness in our hearts and we express it through singing. Whether you're a good singer, bad singer, uh, tone deaf, does not matter. 
we sing. So there's a response to what we learn of God, thankful in our hearts, and we sing. That's the pattern. There's a physical expression that pleases the Lord. Last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper. Well, how is that a physical expression? Well, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we receive the Lord's Supper, we hear what Christ has done for us, we remember his death on the cross, and then the physical expression is we receive the bread and the cup and we eat and drink. That is the physical expression of worship, receiving and eating and drinking. Did you know eating and drinking can be worshipful? And we did a whole study of Ecclesiastes. Actually, it can be worshipful not in communion, but just in feast. You can feast for the Lord. We did a whole teachings on this. It was great. Uh, so, uh, but that is eating in corporate worship, drinking in corporate worship as a physical expression of our union with Christ. Several weeks ago, we talked about the word, how the scripture plays out in our worship services. So when the scripture is being read, or we read a scripture, how are we physically responding in worship? Well, when I'm about to read you scripture, you're going to hear it. So hearing, attentive hearing, attentive listening, that is a physical expression of worship. I'm worshiping the Lord through my listening. Or when the scripture goes up on the screen and we read it together, then we are speaking. So we hear the words and we speak, and that is a physical expression of worship. So have you ever thought about that? That we come to worship and we understand truth, we're affected by that truth, and then it, it comes out somehow physically from uh, our, our expressing ourselves in worship. So what we've covered so far is hearing God's word, sometimes speaking God's word together as we worship. Those are physical expressions. Singing, whole message on singing, that's a physical expression. And eating and drinking in communion, those are physical expressions of worship. I'm going to go over about eight others in the Psalms. I'm not going to cover them all, but the, the, everything in the Psalms. But I'm going to go over about eight other expressions of worship, physical expressions of worship that the Lord commands us to. And it's important that we know these because otherwise we're left thinking, well, let's just worship however. I'm like, I'm all about cartwheels. Maybe I should be doing that for the Lord. Is that a biblical expression? The answer is no. Um, uh, but, or, or maybe I'm just not going to express anything. Is that okay? Do I get to pick my own expressions? Do I get to be non-compliant and say, well, that's just for the kind of emotional, uh, emotive people? Or, or is my response to the Lord shaped by truth that I receive and then responding to that truth in a physical way? Here's the first one. Here's the first one. The first few we're going to have to do with our mouths again, singing. And here's this one in Psalm 62, 1 through 5. The first one is silence. Silence is a physical expression of worship in the Bible. 62, 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall or tottering fence. The on they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. 
Now, there may be a few of you saying, wow, silence, doing nothing. I got that down. I'm worshiping the, I've been worshiping the Lord the whole service. I hadn't done a set of things, sang a thing, spoke a thing. Well, he's not talking about that kind of silence. He's talking about an appropriate silence as a response to the Lord. David writes this psalm, and what's happening? Well, he's being attacked. He's being attacked, and he says, how long, Lord, are they going to knock me down? I'm like a a tottering fence, like after a windstorm, when the fence is leaning over. I'm like that, and they keep ramming me. I'm getting persecuted, Lord. They're coming at me, and so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to wait in silence. Why would he do that? Now, please know, all of the Psalms were sung and read in corporate worship. The biblical hymnal for Israel's worship was the Psalms and the church's worship for that matter. But Israel sang the psalm. So the whole congregation would sing this or read this and remain in silence. Why? Because there is a time to cease from our activity and to stop and say, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to wait on you, Lord. Now, in terms of corporate worship, I'm not going to evaluate every one of these, but this is not one we're strong on, and that's on the elders uh, and the worship leaders. That's not on you at all. Uh, I don't think this is one we're real strong on. So we want to look at this. How can we put this appropriately in our worship services? Two years ago, when I spoke about revival, I, I taught on revival for about five months. And frequently, at the end of the sermon, I said, amen, we're just going to wait. And I just stood here like this, and we sat in silence. Why did we do that? We were thinking about the message we just heard, and we were communicating to God, we can't bring revival. We can't renew anybody. We can't. We can't, you know, bring the the power of the Spirit to change people. We can only wait on you. And so there's a number of times we waited in silence, a pregnant silence that communicated we need you. So that's an appropriate ex- physical expression of worship is silence when we do it congregationally. Now, if we're all to be reading and we're all to be singing, uh, that, that may be different. I mean, there may be a place to even pause for yourself during our time, not for 30 minutes, but there's time to pause. Uh, so anyway, that that's silence. Here's the next one. Let's go to ex- from one extreme to another. Go to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. So in your devices or with your Bibles, look o- or your paper Bibles, look over to Psalm 33. Silence or the opposite would be shouting. There's a place for in worship. This is congregational worship for shouting. Psalm 33, 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. That's a command. Shout for joy. It's an imperative. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, which is a stringed instrument, not a dishonest person. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So in this psalm, it begins with a plea and a call. We're all going to shout to the Lord as we worship. And then as he works through the psalm, we find out why. Uh, Look at verse 6. Why are we shouting? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. God created everything by his word, and we are going to shout the glory of that truth. Or verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. So the other nations that are seeking to attack Israel, God will stop their purposes. He not only created everything, he rules over everything. And that's worthy of a loud voice of acclamation, 
uh, to God. Or verse 20 through 21, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So here my soul is waiting and I'm shouting. There's a time to wait in silence. There's a time to wait with a loud mouth and shouting praise to God. Both are biblical. The point I want to make, though, is that this is doctrinally driven shouting. There's shouting, but there's all this content in the psalm. This is not the worship leader getting up here and going, yo, everybody, I can't hear you. Hello, Frisco. You know, that's not what we're talking about. Everybody's, ah, why are we shouting? What are we yelling about? I don't know, but he said, it's not that kind of, non- that's nonsense. You know, at, 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 that's nonsense at best. At worst, that's manipulative so that we're going to get everybody amped up on something. Biblically, you hear a truth, you respond to the truth in your heart, and then physically you let out a shout. I, we just read four or five doctrinal truths that are worthy of shouting. God created everything. God rules over everything. God's steadfast love is for us. You can't get away from his love. That's worthy of shouting. Now, somebody will say, well, that's good, but that's not really my personality. I'm not really a shouter. I'm I'm very cerebral. I'm a thinker. I'm not a shouter. And every time I've heard a worship leader or pastor use the tired old illustration about, what are you like at a football game? You stand up and yell, but we come before Jesus and you're silent. You need to yell for Jesus more than you yell for the Cowboys. Every time I hear that tired illustration, I'm going, I don't shout at the football game. I'm just not a shouter. I'm just not a shouter. I'm more of a thinker. I'm more of a logical person. Well, let me introduce this truth to you. In Romans 12, it said, present your bodies before the Lord which is our spiritual or reasonable worship. The point was there is nothing more logical or reasonable than when you encounter truth from the Scripture to respond with your body in an appropriate way. And one appropriate way to respond, not all service, not all songs, not every time we gather, but sometimes is to shout because of the truth that we are hearing. That's a reasonable, logical response. And if you don't shout for the football game, that's fine. That just shows that for you, man, you're coming out of your comfort zone, and shouting for Christ means he's the only one I would ever shout for in my life. Wonderful. That's great. Um, And the other thing about shouting that we see here is that uh, there's content as I go along. So I I suppose there's a time just to go, ah, like that. But I think usually it's content-driven. Shout to the Lord, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord. And he goes through with instruments. But as he's talking, there are, there are things that are being celebrated. So God could hear a room full of people shouting at once. That's what happens at the football game, by the way. Somebody's yelling, all right, go, or you know what, a touchdown, or whatever they're yelling, go, whatever the crowd's yelling, right? So... That's appropriate to say, you are worthy, you know, to yell out, I love you, Lord, to yell out something with content, you reign, um, something like this, thank you for the Lord. So we can, we can shout with content, um, or there may be a place just to, you know, let it go, uh, whatever. So, uh, but anyway, shouting, so silence and shouting. So we express our worship gathered together through our voices. We sing, we shout, we're silent. And we speak. 
like responsive readings of Scripture. We speak together. So we come together to be affected by truth. And isn't this great that God gives us a voice that we can use for him in all of these different ways? Not only do we worship with our voices, but we also are called to worship with our hands. With our hands. Corporate worship, corporate worship is not soccer. You can use your hands. And in fact, you should use your hands. Um, maybe you grew up in a church. Some of the things I'm saying tonight are going to r- rub some... Uh, well, it might rub you the wrong way tonight. I don't know. But it may rub your history the wrong way. Because some of you were taught that any time there's emotion expressed, there's the danger of slipping into emotionalism. And because we don't want to slip into emotionalism, we're just not going to have any emotion at all. And we're suspect of emotion. We're suspect of expressiveness. Let me say that, yes, uh, emotionalism is always a danger. Uh, so is disobedience to the expressive means of worship that God commands. So it's not as if I'm not emotive that, okay, I'm covered. I could still be disobedient to the Lord. Um, So we don't want to go to emotionalism. The way we avoid emotionalism is that our response is to content. So there is doctrine, there's Bible, there is truth. We're not having a pep rally. It's not rah, rah, rah. It's here's the truth. Let's respond to it. So we sing songs that are chock full of truth. Uh, We hear messages that are biblical, and we're responding to biblical truth. That's how you avoid emotionalism. Emotionalism is emotion for emotion's sake, and it lacks content. But when truth informs the mind, it starts with the mind. When truth informs the mind, stirs the heart, then the affections can respond to God through physical expression. So one way is we can use our hands. Go over to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. Psalm 47. The first way is by clapping our hands. Clapping our hands. Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So there's, we got several expressions in the first verse. It's a command. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared. The great king over all the earth, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of God of Abraham. The shields for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So what's this whole thing about? The whole psalm, and I read you the whole psalm so you get the context. The whole psalm is about God's the king. He reigns. He has defeated the enemies. We are a wimpy nation. Israel started out as nothing. They are not an impressive nation, but our God has defeated our enemies, and he is our king that rules and reigns. So an appropriate response to celebrate our king is to applaud him. So even in biblical times, and this, some of the things we're going to look at may not be as common today, but this one's very common. Just like in biblical times, clapping is an expression. Well, it communicates several things. It communicates celebration. They're celebrating the king who reigns over the nations. He's gone up with a shout, sing praises to our king. So it it, it is a celebration. It shows gratitude. Last Sunday, uh, Pete, I think it was last Sunday, Pete 
uh, recognized all those who had served in uh, serving the uh, elderly at the assisted living center, Rambling Oaks. And so they stood up and we all clapped. What were we saying? We were saying, we appreciate We appreciate what you're doing. It's making a difference, and we acknowledge that. Or sometimes clapping can honor honor a person. Um, You know, clapping can be something we're going to honor the king. It's it's the way we show uh, honor and respect to someone. You know, if someone says, uh, think about the state of the union. Uh, at that, that's just sort of ritual, and I'm not sure that's from everybody's heart. But when they announce the president, whoever he is, um, when he comes in, there's just that clapping when he comes in. I mean, it like goes on and on and on and on. But what are they saying? We honor, the, uh, we honor the president of the United States of America. And whether we voted for him or not, or whether we're agreeing with all his policy, we're honoring him. Well, it's different with God. God does everything perfect. He is glorious and loving, and so it's a way to honor and appreciate. One of the things I've wanted to say for years to new people, and I've never had, I mean, I could have said it any Sunday, but at the end of our songs, we often clap, and I hope you know, and if you don't, now you're going to know, we're not applauding for the band and the singers. Now, there's a time to applaud for the band and the singers. There's a time to say, Aren't you appreciative of the people who practice their instruments, came early and set up, and aren't we grateful for them? Yes, thank you. There's a, there's a time to do that. But at the end of a song, when we sing, uh, you know, when, when we sing uh, a song, Amazing Grace, we're singing about the grace of God, and we're all clapping at the end. We're not going, man, wasn't that bass line incredible? And but did you hear the harmonies? Yeah! You know, putting up our lighter. And we're not at a concert, uh, you know, celebrating the band. What we're doing is saying that what we just sang about amazing grace, Lord, you are the giver of amazing grace. You are the one who saved us. We celebrate you. We honor you. We respect you. We are expressing a heart of gratitude to you and we clap. It's a very normal expression in our culture for all of those things. And that's what we're doing. Sometimes we also clap rhythmically or we try you know, with a song as well. And that's probably celebratory. Uh, I mean, we've got good drummers in the church. We're not, they're not really needing us to keep the beat. Um, but, you know, that's oftentimes celebratory somewhere as well. If you're somewhere and they're playing music and everybody's clapping along, it usually communicates, it usually communicates celebration. We're celebrating together. So it's also appropriate. I think the clapping here probably has in mind not rhythmic celebration. It's probably applauding uh, the king. That's, that seems to be what it is, uh, instead of clap on the two and the four beat, or the one and the three, depending on which church you're from. But, uh, so it, it's probably meaning that we're applauding. But applauding or clapping along, either way. Here's another use of hands. Turn over to Psalm 63, and I'm going to make a number of comments about this and look at several psalms looking at the theme of lifting hands or raising hands. Some of you have may been in this church and seen people, you're new, and you've seen people raising their hands. First time somebody has a hand up, you go, is that guy got a question? Could someone please help him out? Or you may wonder, why is that? Oh, is this a hand-raising church? I recently saw a guy who was interacting with a mixed audience of Christians, and he said, how many of you go to a church that raise your hands? And everybody said, okay, how many of you go to a church where you don't raise your hands? <laughs> you know, how do you respond? And he was going like, uh, well, I don't know really how to respond to that, but uh, so... You may have come in and go, okay, this is a hand-raising church. Why is that? Is that stylistic? Is that just, 
why is that? Well, let me give you several scriptures, and this is going to serve you because it's going to biblically inform your response to the Lord, because we could mindlessly do this and sing, and it means nothing. Uh, we're not just talking about passion or expression. Uh, we could be lifting our hands and thinking about what we're doing after the service. There are people that come into worship services that lift their hands, and they're living in adultery. They're living a complete life that's not following Christ at all. The lifted hands does not mean holy worship uh, or any, anything like that. So putting one's hands up doesn't mean, okay, well, that's really an act of holiness. There are reasons that we're to raise our hands to the Lord. And here's, uh, here's a few. Look at Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So will I bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In this situation, David is lifting his hands as a sign of praise to the Lord. I will, uh, uh, verse 3, my lips will praise you, and so will I bless you. In your name I will lift up my hands. And it's not just praising, it's blessing the Lord. The raising of hands while singing, one purpose of it, not the only, but one purpose is to bless the Lord. Biblically, raised hands were associated with blessing. So the priest would bless people. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you with a hand raised, blessing the people. And as a matter of fact, in Psalm, I wrote this down, if you want to take a note, Psalm, Psalm 134, that exact same thing happens. In Psalm 134, the psalmist calls the priest and says, lift your hands and bless the Lord, not the people. Lift your hands and bless the Lord. What's blessing? It's speaking well of God and his works. It's essentially praising. It's praising the Lord. So lifting hands is a way of saying, Lord, I am going to speak things, sing things, think things that communicate that you are glorious and you are, I'm going to speak well of your works. I'm going to speak well of your character. I'm going to, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to praise you through my uplifted hands. So that is one way. My lips will praise and my lifted hands will pray. So here, these, these psalms we're reading have a lot of different expressions together. So here's this one, praising you for your love and blessing you for your love as well. Um, beholding your power and glory. Lord, you are powerful. You are glorious. That is blessing the Lord with my mouth and with my hand as well. Look at Psalm 143. Psalm 143. Love to hear these pages turning and these thumbs scratching across the screen of the phone, and it's great. Psalm 143, we're talking about how do we use our hands. We've read clapping, and this is lifting hands. Psalm 143, 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in the darkness uh, like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit, now listen, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. 
I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. This is a time when David is going through a very difficult time. He's got pleas for mercy. Verse 1. Verse 3, the enemy has pursued his soul. Uh, Verse 4, his spirit is faint. He is weak before the Lord. Uh, Verse 6, I stretch out my hands. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. So here, the outstretched hand recognizes our need for God. It's saying, Lord, I need you. It's not, so it's different. Here, I need you. The lifted hands can be saying, I need you. It's like if you're a little kid, you've got a two or three-year-old kid, and they fall and they scrape their knee uh, you know, on the pavement, and then they come running to you with their hands up. What are they saying? Pick me up. Hold me. Help me. They're running to you, and they've got their hands up. That's what this is. It's to our Heavenly Father, help me. Pick me up, Lord. That's what David's praying. Pick me up. My soul thirsts for you. I need you, God. Comfort me. Strengthen me. Make me aware of your love afresh. I am in need. So one reason we lift our hands is not like the priests blessing people, but it is us lifting our hands to express our need. Here's another one in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm, the longest chapter of the Bible, the longest psalm in the Bible for sure. Psalm 119 has something even different. Psalm 119. And let's look at verse 46. Just a couple of verses here. This whole psalm is about the Bible. It's a psalm about the Word of God. It says, I will also speak of your testimony before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, that's the Word of God, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So we don't literally hold up the Bible and then everybody lifts up their hands to it in in a physical way like that. But what he's saying is the commands of God represent the Word of God. They represent the will of God. So to lift my hands before the will of God is to surrender myself to Him. The most common sign, and this is true today, uh, for I surrender is hands up, right? Somebody comes at you with a gun. And the Lord doesn't do that. Bad illustration. Uh, But if someone comes at you with a gun, you put your hands up and it says, I surrender. I give up. And when we lift our hands to the authority of God, when we lift our hands to the word and the will of God, we are saying, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender to your will. I surrender to your ways. Your word is my authority and I'm lifting my hands up to you. So it's a way of surrender, a way of saying we need help. Uh, that's a different one. Okay, Psalm, one more on this. Psalm 141. So uplifted hands, just like there's different kinds of songs that you can sing, Psalm 141. You can sing a lament, which is a song of grief. You can sing a psalm of praise, which is a psalm of celebration. Just like songs have different meanings, so uplifted hands have different meanings uh, in the Bible. Psalm 141, verse 1. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What the psalmist is doing is he's taking several expressions here. They're all having to do with prayer. Verse 1, I call upon you. 2, give ear to my... I'm saying uh, verse 1b, give ear to my voice. 2, 
Let my prayer be counted as incense to be the lifting of my hands as, as evening sacrifice. It's a picture of praying, calling out to God as an act of worship. It's like the incense. It's like the evening sacrifice. So it's prayer as worship is what this is about. And he's calling out and lifting his hands. Lifted hands or are a sign of prayer. They, are a com- they accompany prayer. As a matter of fact, we get that in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Lifting holy, it's a posture of prayer. So when we come to the Lord and we are, you know, um, communicating with him, talking to him, asking for him to see our need and respond to us. The lifted hands say, that kind of says, I need you and surrender as well, doesn't it? But it says, Lord, I'm praying to you. So lifting of our hands is something from our heart. None of these, none of these Psalms say, hey, everybody, you know, it's not this rah-rah, throw your hands in the air like you just don't care. Everybody, we're partying. It's none of that kind of stuff. It is all content. And the lifting of the hands is very much tied to something true of God something needy in my own life and my response to God. And, and there's, there's an expression that honors the Lord in that, that pleases the Lord. So there is the lifting of the hand. So it could communicate praising the Lord or blessing the Lord. It could communicate, I need you. It could communicate, I surrender to you. It could communicate, I bring my prayer to you. And maybe others. There could be other biblical expressions. That's just, I thought four would be enough. Um, But it could communicate any of those things. And so uh, we want to think about that when we're singing songs or praying prayers and some of that kind of thing. I want to praise the Lord for what I'm saying here. I not only want to sing it, but I want to communicate. We're singing, I need you, Lord. Okay, I'm not just going to say that with my mouth. I'm going to communicate. The Lord says my hands can communicate that. I'm going to lift them to say, I need you. Um, or any, anything of prayer, praise, uh, bless you, Lord. Um, I'm praying to you. I want, this is my prayer, Lord. Sometimes we sing songs that are prayers. This is my prayer. Uh, it'd be appropriate even when we're reading the Bible. It's appropriate sometimes to read the Bible. I mean, it would be appropriate for me to read this scripture and say, let's lift our hands. I'm, I'm not doing that right now, but say, I can say, let's all lift our hands to this verse as we read this. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. This is what we just read. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. That'd be an appropriate prayer posture. So the lifting of the hands, you can do that privately and we do that corporately. The next few expressions. So we started with our voice. I feel like this is children's ministry. We used our mouth, boys and girls, and then we used our hands, and now we're going to use uh, our posture, our body posture, because the Bible has a lot to say, more than, I really learned some things about this this week that I didn't realize, and didn't understand about body posture and worship. So Psalm 22, go to Psalm 22. I'm just going to call these character, uh, evidence, uh, like uh, expressions of posture in our expressive worship. Psalm 22 Uh, verse 23. Psalm 22, verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. So 
standing. There's a number of psalms that talk about standing before the Lord. This one is, I stand in awe of him. Why is the psalmist in awe? Because God has drawn him in. He hasn't pushed him away. He hasn't hidden his face from him. Matter of fact, the psalmist cried out to God, and God heard his cry. I'm in awe of you, God. I am in awe. So there's a place to stand. Now, we typically, it's not a rule or it's not a law, and you're not all, all more holy if you make it the whole time, but we typically stand when we sing in church. There'd be nothing wrong with kneeling and singing or sitting and singing. Uh, we typically stand. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that's communicated by standing is, uh, there's a few things. One is we're in awe of God. That's the primary one I want to mention here, is that when someone of importance walks into the room, frequently people stand. If I could use the president illustration again, you know, if the president walked in the room, it'd be completely inappropriate for everyone to remain uh, seated. You would stand up. Why? Because we're honoring uh, the, the president of the United States. How much more God is in the room? And we are honoring him. And as we sing, so it's not unspiritual or unbiblical to sit down and you got to, you know, maybe it's very difficult for you to stand. Do not, if you got a knee injury or, I mean, don't try to make it till the end. It, biblical endurance isn't standing all 25 minutes of singing. That's not the category. So if you need to sit, sit. But when we stand, that's something that's being communicated. So one posture is we stand before the Lord. Another one is found in Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verse... Six. We're going to get a couple here. Psalm 95, verse 6. Kneeling. Kneeling. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. N- getting on one's knees before someone is a way of paying homage and high respect to them. High respect. That was a biblical expression. That would be an expression now. I mean, we don't really kneel before people uh, in in most situations, humanly speaking. But uh, that would have been more common. That's common today, bowing and kneeling in more uh, non-Western cultures. Uh, But that would have been biblically uh, an expression before the king and for us before the Lord. So it's, it's, it's appropriate to say, Uh, Who made me? Why am I here? Well, let's worship and bow down before the Lord, our maker. God created us. And not only did he create us, but he made us his people, the sheep of his hand, verse seven says. So again, there's always content associated with these gestures, these movements, these actions, these expressions. They're always content driven. So here we're kneeling before God who made us. We didn't give ourselves life. God made us. This is astounding. And so before him, we say, Lord, you are powerful and I am not. So I'm on my knees saying, Lord, you are glorious. I am small and weak, but I honor you and I kneel before your greatness. So it's an expression of, uh, of worship. We haven't done a lot of corporate kneeling either. I'm not sure our, our worship fastball is kneeling at Grace Church. Uh, and after I read this, I was like, yeah, well, we're not going to help you in the new building. We don't have any kneeling rails or anything like that in the chairs. One of the reasons could be it's, it's sometimes space-wise, it's a little bit difficult. But let me just say this. We have, there have been people who have knelt. We may have all knelt before. I can't recall. But I've seen people kneel. I've knelt. I've seen people kneel in the worship service. You're free to do that any time. And, and let's just have an agreement that that is a biblical form of worship. So if the person to me hits their knees... 
uh, my thought should never be, oh, or like, are they drawing attention to themselves? Or No, they're honoring. My assumption, I don't know their heart, but my assumption should be they understand biblically that before the Lord, one way to express reverence and high homage is to hit your knees before the eternal dignitary that is God. So if we just have an agreement, that's appropriate. Um, you know, and if you got to get out, you just tap them on the shoulder and we're family and they're going to get up and you're going to get out. So, don't, oh man, I got people kneeling on either one of me and my number flashed up there. What do I do now? <laughs> just, we're human. It's, hey, you know, excuse me, I hate to interrupt, but I got to walk by you. Okay, great. They'll walk by. So kneeling is appropriate and you should feel free to kneel uh, as, we, as we worship uh, corporately. And maybe we will ask all those who are physically able to kneel at some point in our worship services. But why? Because it's a biblical gesture that pleases the Lord. And it really does communicate humility, doesn't it, to get down and kneel. The next one is bowing. Come let us, it's in the same verse, so come let us worship and bow down. I use kneeling first, but actually bow down comes first, doesn't it? Uh, that's another posture is bowing. Bowing is a universal sign of respect as well as a biblical expression of worship. Um, now, it, it, and again, in Western culture, bowing is not very common to show respect to someone. Um, my Korean friends, for instance, would say, I don't know current if that's the case, but I, I could ask one of them now, but I won't. But historically, uh, that would have been an expression. Bowing would be an expression of honor and respect to an elder, uh, to your elders, or maybe your parents or grandparents or something like that and maybe others, but uh, I know that that would, that would be a, an expression currently that would communicate. It doesn't communicate a, a lot in, among, um, you know, among many Americans, maybe among Asian Americans it does, but among many, many others, maybe that's not part of the culture. But it's part of, the, it's part of Hebrew culture, and it's part of biblical culture that we can bow before the Lord. Now, here's something that I want to share with you uh, that I, I hope will be helpful, and that's this, that uh, we often think that worship is from the heart, and it is, and that physical responses are secondary. And they are kind of. I mean, they're kind of secondary. If you had to pick genuine worship from the heart, uh, that's the starting place, so that's more important. But, but it should express itself in physical worship. The, 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 the thing is that in the Hebrew language, terms for worship were often terms for physical expression. So if you look at uh, verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down, the English translated there is worship, which means worth-ship. It, 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 it's, that would have been the old English, would have been worth-ship. It means to acknowledge the worthiness of. So what it means is, O come, let us acknowledge the worthiness of God and bow down. Let us kneel, acknowledge the worthiness of. But the way the Hebrew language is written is they gave a picture of what that is. So it, the, the literal Hebrew is not let us acknowledge the worthiness of God. The literal Hebrew is let us prostrate ourselves before a superior. The word translated worship there means prostrate oneself before a superior. Uh, to prostrate oneself is to lie face down or to lie down or to, I mean, maybe even being on your knees with your face on the ground, that might be considered prostrating yourself. It's, it's bowing as low as you can bow before another. So that's what it actually means. It, when the Hebrew Old Testament is translated into Greek, there's a Greek version taken from Hebrew. The word that is translated there uh, is similar, but it, it, it reflects a custom of kneeling before a superior and kissing his feet or the hem of his garment. So 
if you were reading the, what's called the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, and you were to look literally at how it's translated, it would, it would communicate to you, O come let us kneel and kiss the feet of the Lord our God, our Maker. Now, why am I telling you all this? Worship is fine. Worship is great. Worship is a great word. It means to acknowledge the worthiness of. If you prostrate yourself before an individual, you're acknowledging their worthiness. So your Bible is right. It's translated right. Excellent. All I'm trying to say is that physical gestures are so tied to worship in the Bible that the words translated worship are the physical gestures themselves. We tend to think my heart is what matters. The physical gestures are optional. A Hebrew worshiper would say, no, the the very words for worship are the actions themselves. That communicate, that heightens the importance of physical expressions of worship. So body posture, standing, kneeling, bowing, and prostrating oneself is very difficult in a building like this. If you're on the front row, you can. Otherwise, I guess you can hop in the aisle. That's probably not one unless you kneel and kneel all the way down. I'm, I'm being as clear as I know how to be here. If, you're on, if you kneel on your knees and put your face to the ground, that's like the only way I know you could comfortably do that here unless you get in the back. Or, so that's going to be one that's going to be a little harder to practice corporately. Um, but certainly bowing, certainly kneeling, kneeling with our face down. These are these, face down. These are expressions of worship. Okay, two more, and then we're done. We're going to sing. Uh, I'm gonna be, I need to be really brief on these last two because I looked at my time. Uh, Psalm 149, Psalm 149, 149, verse 1, Praise the Lord, sing, the praise, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in His Maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. So the number eight is dancing. Why? Verse 4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. God gives salvation. He takes pleasure in the church. Uh, He takes pleasure uh, at this time in Israel, takes pleasure in his people. And so an expression of worship before him is verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing. What is dancing? I don't have, I mean, different cultures are going to dance in different ways. I can tell you what's not in view is uh, seductive dancing. What's not in view is a couple slow dancing. These are not the things that are in view. Uh, What is in view is celebratory physical movement. That's my definition of biblical dancing, celebratory physical movement. It may include swaying. It may include moving your feet, stepping. It may include jumping. It may include any measure of movement that could be characterized as I'm not a statue. I'm, I'm moving and dancing to the Lord. Now, again, in a congregation like this, this isn't a dance floor, uh, regardless of the fact there's a worship song that says that. This is not a dance floor. Uh, we won't be singing that song. This is not a dance floor. And these are rows, and so uh, everything should be done decently in order. You have a neighbor next to you, so you're not free to just leap in front of them and do windmills and whatever your moves are. You need to consider others, but as you consider others, you should feel free to express celebratory physical movement and dance before the Lord in congregational worship. And you don't have to be a good dancer. The Bible says, play skillfully on the strings, Psalm uh, Psalm 33. So if you play bass or you play acoustic or you play guitar, the Bible says you got to play skillfully in worship. This is not amateur hour, but it never says dance skillfully. 
And that's good for about 99.8% of the people in this room because I've seen you at some wedding receptions and seen me. So, um, so anyway, it doesn't say, it just says it's our heart. It's our heart to celebrate and to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And, num- and the number nine would be physical expression, be playing instruments. I mean, look, we just read that. Verse 3, let them praise him with dancing, make melody with tambourine and lyre, or over at Psalm 150, uh, look at verse 3, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and harp. So another one would be uh, music. An expression of worship is music. Music is the language of the heart. So God, if God had said, come before me and be silent for an hour, that'd be okay, we'd do it. We're going we're gonna to be silent before God for an hour to worship him. He could have said that. But he said, no, I want music. And if you read the Psalms, it's loud music, it's celebratory music often, loud shouts, it's people shouting, it's people dancing, uh, it's people bowing, prostrating themselves before the Lord, it's people clapping, it's hands in the air. I mean, the biblical, it's silence, it's standing, you know, silent and respectful before, it's all these things. It's all these things. But aren't you glad he said, do it with music? He gives us music. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm really out of town, time. I'm not out of town. You may think so. Some of you are going, whoa, wh- who invited me to this church? This is out of town. Uh, I want to go home to my hometown. Uh, so l- let, me, let me just say, I got to say two things to be done. And I really, this is, this is a message in itself. But if this is all true, what hinders us from expressing ourselves? Two quick things and one homework assignment if, 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 if you're hindered. Some of you are going, wow, wondering when they're going to say something. Man, I'm, going to, I'm ready. So some, there's a few people like that. But other people are going to go, whoa, is, now is the church. I mean, he's now, what happened here today? You know, what, what are we doing here? Well, we're just trying to talk about biblical expressions of worship. When truth hits our mind, stirs our hearts, and we let our body express itself to God as he intended. Number one, what hinders us? Ignorance. I've never done a message like this in my life. I mean, I've taught psalms and I've taught expressions of worship plenty of times. But I've never just done, gone through, I've gone through like nine and then I started with four. So I've gone through like 13 expressions or something like that today. So you could be ignorant, and, uh, but we're ignorant no more. Uh, and we could have been ignorant thinking, hey, that's just like based on personality type. That's based on like hyper, like extrovert versus introvert. That's based on thinker versus feeler. Uh, no, that's the way God created us. And I don't deny culture and I don't deny personality. So I do think God, we express ourselves in our culture. If you were in a tribal worship service in Africa, it would look different perhaps than here. They might be having more percussive instruments and their dance might look uh, different. It might be a big part of the service. I don't know. Um, if you were in Manhattan, it might look different, or if you're in Paris. So I understand culture. So there's cultural expressions, but if our culture sharply varies from the Scripture, we're called to be countercultural. So we do recognize culture. We do recognize others. We do recognize personal makeup. We never manipulate people. But our goal would be to display the truth of God in such a biblically, biblically accurate way that it would bring something out of us. That we say, are you kidding me? That's what God has done for me? I cannot be silent. That's the grace of God? I cannot sit here. That's the mercy of God to me, a sinner? I must celebrate that. 
So one could be ignorance, and the, the other one would be what Bible calls fear of man. What does that mean? It just means that we care more about other, what others think than we care about what God thinks. So of all the things I shared, are there any of these God-pleasing expressions that you have never offered to God? Are there any that you have never offered to God? And if so, why is that? It could be ignorance. You didn't know it was in the Bible. It could be you wanted to, but you thought people would think you're funny and, and, you, and maybe nobody else was doing it. You didn't want to be the first one to hit your knees. I've never seen anybody on their knees at Grace Church, and I don't really feel like I'm called to lead the congregation in kneeling. Uh, but now that it's out there, you can. Uh, now it's out there in the Bible, not at Grace Church. Uh, it's been in the Bible for a few thousand years. Um, but it could be that. So if that's you, here's an assignment. If you would say, I'm worried about people think, what you need is you don't need more teaching about these responses. You need a bigger vision of God. That's what you need. That's what I need. So here's an assignment. Take the book of Psalms. You can read the book of Psalms in a month if you read five Psalms a day. Psalm 119, take a weekend because that's a, that's a long one. But if you read five Psalms a day, you could read the Psalms in a month. What if you did this? Get two colored highlighters, and if you don't like to highlight in your Bible, grab one of those paperbacks for free and take it with you, or print out, get, get on a website and, of the Bible and print out the pages of the Bible, or photocopy, or I, I don't know. If you don't like to, find the psalm somehow in a way you can mark it up. You can take one of those Bibles back there. They're free, and you can mark it up. Get two highlighters. I don't care what color. We'll say yellow and orange for this illustration. Get two highlighters, and with one color, mark everything in the psalm that you learn about God. So Psalm 149, praise the Lord, okay? Uh, Lord, he, he is Lord. That word is Yahweh, the I am. He is Lord. Sing to the Lord, he's Lord, a new song. His praise in the assembly of, God, uh, of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. His maker, highlighting that in yellow. He's the maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice. Okay, I'm going to highlight that in yellow because we're children because he adopted us and that tells me something about what he's done. Who he is or what he's done, yellow, whatever color. In orange, highlight everything that's a response, humanly speaking. Praise the Lord. Okay, praise the, or at least praise. That is the Lord, I guess, is him. Praise, that's orange. That's something I can do. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing. Doing that in orange. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad. Highlighting that in orange. That's something that's a human response. Take each psalm and look at all of, it teaches us about God and all the responses. And then think about and pray about all of those truths of God, focus on those, and then seek to respond in the ways that the Scripture calls us to. If you take the 150 Psalms and see everything that it tells you about God, you're going to be blown away. If you just did that yellow highlighter and didn't do response, it will blow you away to see how great your God is. He's way better than you imagine. He's way better than reported. He's perfect. He's glorious. Just do that. And then take the other ones and look for how can I respond to him in those ways and think specifically and ask the Lord, help me do the orange stuff. Help me see the yellow stuff and help me do the orange stuff to talk about the highlighters and help me respond. And I think that'll help you. The answer to fear of man for all of us is a bigger picture of God and then seeing how we can respond to that glorious God. Let's pray and sing. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.